Nuclear Information Manipulation Last week, the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, gave its rubber stamp of approval to Japan's plans to dump more than 1.3 million tons of radioactive water from Fukushima into the Pacific Ocean. I mean, we can trust the IAEA. They're the experts, aren't they? But then a genuine expert in how radioactive materials behave in the marine environment takes on these claims of safety, and he tells you... We're broadly told that tritium is harmless, is no concern. What are you worried about? Everything is going to be safe. It's all going to be done to the highest international safety standards. But who makes those highest international safety standards? It's the International Atomic Energy Agency, because they are the arbiters and the great gurus and the priests and the mouthpieces of all things nuclear. And they've got it tied up. Well... If the fox really is in charge of the hen house, and a nuclear information monopoly is what's behind reassurances that Japan's planned radioactive water release into the Pacific Ocean is safe, and when you learn that honest, contrary information warning about this release is being blocked, distorted, dismissed, and ignored, there's every chance that a catastrophic nuclear mistake will be made on planet Earth, one from which we'll never be able to recover, and that means that there will be absolutely no way out of that dangerous, deadly seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halady. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, a nuclear hot seat special, focusing on Japan's manipulation of image and media regarding the imminent release of radioactive water from Fukushima into the Pacific Ocean. We talk with marine biologist Tim Deere-Jones, who rips apart official claims of a whistleblower's leaked information as being fraudulent, Filmmaker Philip Carrillo on how Japan's pro-release propaganda campaign has been manipulating media coverage in the South Pacific. And the tiny nation of Vanuatu's member of parliament, the Honorable Andrew Napwat, on what it will take for his nation and others in the South Pacific to stand against this radiological pollution of the Earth's largest body of water. Today is Tuesday, July 11, 2023, and here is this week's Nuclear Hot Seat Special on the Japan Radioactive Water Release, Propaganda, and Cover-Up Campaign. We start out with some perspective on the International Atomic Energy Agency and its presumed legitimacy to approve Japan's plan. Here's Linda Pence-Gunter with the Nuclear Hot Seat Hot Story. 
The International Atomic Energy Agency is responsible for monitoring and safeguarding nuclear operations around the world, including the six-reactor Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine, currently embroiled in the Russia-Ukraine war, and seemingly in a propaganda war as well. The IAEA is also in charge of deciding whether or not it is safe for Japan to release almost a million and a half tons of radioactive water from its destroyed Fukushima Daiichi site into the Pacific Ocean over the next 40 years. But here's the IAEA's mission statement. The agency works with its member states and multiple partners worldwide to promote the safe, secure and peaceful use of nuclear technologies. Stop and think about that for a moment. The very agency that is supposed to ensure nuclear power operations are conducted in such a manner as to not endanger people and the environment is also the promoter, indeed an ardent promoter, of the very technology it is regulating. It was hardly a surprise then when IEEA told Fukushima nuclear plant owner TEPCO and the Japanese government last week that it was perfectly fine to begin contaminating the Pacific Ocean. After all, the last thing the IAEA needs is nuclear power coming across as something polluting and dangerous. Likewise, IAEA Director Rafael Grossi has already stated of the inconvenient Zaporizhia peril that it's the war that's the problem, not nuclear power. Unless Zaporizhia blows up, then it will be utterly obvious that it was nuclear power that is the problem. Therefore, the IAEA made a frenzied and ultimately failed effort to persuade the warring sides to declare a no-fire zone around the plant. The IAEA's interest in preventing a nuclear disaster there is less about protecting people and the environment and far more about safeguarding the future of an industry that is already mired in expense, multiple failures, a clear link to the spread of nuclear weapons, and of course, a massive unsolved radioactive waste problem. For 10 years, on every working day between 2007 and 2017, there was a vigil outside the Geneva headquarters of the World Health Organization, calling for an independent WHO. The reason for the protest dates back to a 1959 agreement that mandates the WHO and the IAEA to defer to each other when tackling areas in which the other has expertise. Accordingly, the WHO yields to the IAEA on matters related to nuclear power. The efficacy of this muzzling came into sharp focus after both the 1986 Chernobyl nuclear accident in Ukraine and the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster in Japan, when the true health effects began to be misrepresented, suppressed and covered up. Indeed, the independent WHO network, which no longer vigils but still works to achieve its goals, says on its website, quote, the evidence shows that WHO has not exhibited any autonomy of initiative or resources in radiation protection. It has to be said that it has clearly renounced its mission. It has been complicit in misinformation about nuclear energy in general and has abandoned the victims of radioactivity, unquote. We still need and don't have an independent WHO, but we also need an independent IAEA, an investigative monitoring organization that has zero vested interest in preserving the reputation and existence of the nuclear power industry. Until then, the IAEA will continue to reassure us that nuclear power isn't the problem and that dumping liquid radioactive waste into the ocean for decades is a benign necessity. I'm Linda Pence-Gunter of Beyond Nuclear, reporting for Nuclear Hot Seat. And that's this week's hot story. Sometimes the nuclear story 
is what's being done to throw people off the real nuclear story. Tim Deere-Jones is an internationally recognized marine biologist, a researcher and consultant, who specializes in analysis of the radiation threats to our planet's waters from a wide range of nuclear sources. He's a frequent guest on Nuclear Hot Seat. Here, he takes on the IAEA's presumed legitimacy to approve Japan's planned radioactive water release into the Pacific Ocean, as well as what he can tell us about the whistleblower document leaked from within the IAEA and whether Japan's almost instantaneous dismissal of it as fraud, well, holds water. I spoke with Tim Deere Jones on Friday, July 7, 2023. Tim Deere Jones, it's great to have you back with us here on Nuclear Hot Seat. Hi, Levy. It's great to be with you again. Two weeks ago, Nuclear-News.net revealed a document that was leaked by a whistleblower within the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, that showed collusion between the Japanese government, Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, and the IAEA in terms of the way the approval, which was already granted before it was made public, the approval of the radioactive water release needed to be framed, worded, and presented to the public to reduce the potential for alarm. What was your response to that document when you saw it, and how valid, how authentic do you believe it is? I am not an investigative journalist, nor am I a fraud investigator, but looking at the document that I was given, it was clear that it was on International Atomic Energy Agency Authority paperwork with the appropriate headings. It was in a very familiar typescript, which is the kind of thing that I've seen on their documents before. And on the bottom of the page, it was labelled with the logo and title of a relevant department to the the information that was being released. When I read the document, which, as you know, is not terribly long, uh, the tone of it, although it appeared to have been translated into English from another language, because the English was sort of awkward uh, and not particularly fluent in places, but the tone of it was very familiar, where it was commenting on people like we campaigners who become obsessed with triviality and minor issues of no importance. That played very well to me because that's very much the experience that I and a number of the other people who've been campaigning on the Fukushima water release have experienced when we've submitted technically backed up documents which have been scientifically referenced and published in peer-reviewed journals and we've either been blanked by the IAEA and TEPCO and the Japanese government or our submissions have been rubbished in a very sort of superficial way. So the whole tone of that document did sit quite well with me. Now I can't guarantee and I won't guarantee its veracity but to me it just seemed to fit with my long previous experience of dealing with the nuclear industry and the International Atomic Energy Agency in particular. The Japanese government almost immediately issued a statement that this leaked document was fraudulent. What can you tell us about the manner in which it was dismissed and the content of that dismissal? Well, in the first place, I was very surprised that the Japanese foreign minister, Mr. Hayashi, was so bullish about his denial of the veracity of it and calling it a fraud. In the UK, we've experienced a number of whistleblower issues with various government agencies. 
over recent years. And I can tell you that it, it takes weeks and very often months for our government to research a supposed whistleblower documentary release and to pin it down as to source and to, as to the veracity of the content. So to see Mr. Hayashi come up with this extremely definite and powerful condemnation of the document as a fraud was indeed a bit surprising, really. And I can only conclude that from his point of view, from the Japanese government point of view, it must have been based on a few panic-stricken interviews with particular individuals who would have been involved with the matters that were discussed in the release document. But none of that has been evidenced. There'd be no references to any serious formal inquiry, which would have been convened to sit down and sort this thing out. I also found it very interesting that the IAEA and TEPCO have remained silent on this to date, and that Mr. Hayashi, a foreign minister of Japan, appears therefore to be representing a Japanese nuclear business company and an agency of the United Nations, which is what the International Atomic Energy Agency is, in the absence of any comment from them at all. The tone and the content did in this reference to people who become obsessed by trivial issues was very much reflective of the IAEA and the nuclear industry position vis-a-vis any comment that they receive from campaigners against the Fukushima water release. Um, As I may have said to you in previous meetings, the nuclear industry is really, really reliant on being able to discharge large amounts of tritium into the marine environment because they've got no other way of dealing with it. If they're not allowed to discharge it into atmosphere and water, then they're going to have to store it exactly as they are at Fukushima. So I think it is a make or break for the nuclear industry, should any nuclear authority, any nuclear supporting government or the International Atomic Energy Agency ever stand up and say, no, you cannot discharge tritium into the ocean. It is dangerous and we have reasons for concern. That's going to undermine the functionality of the civil nuclear industry. And so I think there is, for them, there is a major matter of principle hanging by this particular thread. And I really do feel that it's very much in their interest to make sure that nothing gets in their way. And I was particularly struck in that context, by the idea that the document was warning or letting us know uh, or purporting to let us know that there had been requests to hush-hush any negative impact. The document is saying that the International Atomic Energy Agency would be prepared to assist in suppressing negative data not reporting anything negative that comes out of task force investigations, not reporting anything that may worry we in the public who are worried about trivial things. And it just sat very well with the long-established policy that those of us who campaign on these issues have experienced for decades now. So in the absence of any real hard and fast evidence being presented by any of the players here, the TEPCO, the Japanese government, or the International Atomic Energy Agency. One is left hanging up in the air, really, about 
not only the veracity of the document, but also the veracity of the reputation of the document. The claim that it's fraudulent appears at the moment actually to not have any serious investigative baseline to it. Having now seen the IAEA report, which, of course, as we knew it would, gave approval to the release of more than 1.3 million tons of water, radioactive water, from Fukushima that's contaminated with tritium. How much of that released report is in alignment with the suggestions of manipulation of talking points put forth in the leaked document? That's another conclusive issue, isn't it? Because the document is very sweet from the point of view of the nuclear industry and TEPCO and pro-nuclear Japanese government, because nothing in there, there's been no hint in the document, the report itself, which actually is a, a summary rather than a detailed report. I mean, it's a long report, but it's a long summary of 10 years worth of work, which has been conducted by no doubt hundreds of people to draw us to this point where the decision has been made. Now, I don't believe that you can do all of that work over that length of time involving that many people, some of whom are not necessarily workers for TEPCO or indeed the International Atomic Energy Agency. There have been independent and freelance consultants working for the nuclear industry on this. And amongst all that vast horde of documentation, which you can see referenced at the back of the report, it's astonishing that there is absolutely nothing of any negativity whatsoever, and it's all apparently very positive. So it sort of sits with me that the claims put forward in the whistleblower document, which is what I'm calling it now, actually have some rectitude and correctness to them, because indeed, lo and behold, when the final report appears, there is nothing negative in it at all. And it doesn't seem to be representative of a true scientific investigation because you, you can read all sorts of science and no doubt you have done this, Libby, yourself, and you see that there is a disagreement in the scientific consent. There isn't always a 100% consensus on scientific issues. Somebody will always disagree. But apparently during the 10 years plus work that has gone on towards the release of the Fukushima water. Nobody has found anything negative or anything of concern. So that just doesn't make scientific and logical sense to me. Given the history of the IAEA and your experiences with it, how authoritative and reliable do you consider the IAEA as a source for granting approval of any radioactive materials being released anywhere? We've talked about this before, and you know my view is that in the articles of the founding articles of the IAEA, they set out a set of objectives. And objective number one is to promote and assist the development of the civil nuclear energy industry across the world. Now, they caveat that, of course, with in the safest way possible, but that's the caveat at the end of the statement. The, the main driver is that that is the IAEA's purpose, to promote and assist the development of nuclear energy 
across the world. And I've seen it doing that. The IAEA is eagerly there in third world countries who can barely afford to support themselves, let alone build nuclear power stations. And they're being sold these sweetheart deals where, oh, well, you know, we'll lend you the money to build the nuclear power station and we'll give you the technology and we'll set that up with you. They're very busy developing and maintaining and assisting the evolution of civil nuclear power. And that ties in with what's happening in Japan. What I said earlier on about the dire need for the nuclear industry to be able to get rid of its tritium by chucking it into the atmosphere or the sea. So, you know, it's all part of their mission and they are fulfilling their mission as it can be read by what they're doing at Fukushima. Now, in terms of actually being scientifically up to date, a lot of the campaigning I've done on the Fukushima water releases has been to cite scientific evidence from peer-reviewed, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, from peer-reviewed scientific work, which has been published in respectable journals and conducted by respectable academics, warning that there are concerns about tritium and particularly about organically bound tritium, that it does accumulate in marine species. It can biomagnify in individual animals. It works its way up through the food chain. In my own backwater, the Bristol Channel, the waters that I work on quite a lot, we see that tritium can accumulate compared to its level in the water in the Bristol Channel. You can see a 6,200 times accumulation in the top consumer species, marine species, in that sea area. Now, Studies have not been, investigations have not been done on human people, uh, but they have been done on birds and mammals and shellfish. And you can see this working its way up through the food chain. And we've submitted that to TEPCO and the various discussions that have been going on with the Japanese government about this water release. And basically it gets blanked and we get told, and there again in the report which has just been issued, there's no mention of those scientific studies, which I have referenced and other people have referenced for the TEPCO people to look at. There's no mention of that at all. And we're broadly told that tritium is harmless, organically bound tritium is no concern. What are you worried about? Everything is going to be safe. It's all going to be done to the highest international safety standards. But who makes those highest international safety standards? It's the International Atomic Energy Agency, because they are the arbiters and the great gurus and the priests and the mouthpieces of all things nuclear. And they've got it tied up. They have an agreement. They managed to suborn the World Health Organization. You may know this. Other, Some of your listeners will be aware of it, but for those who aren't, the International Atomic Energy Agency managed to bully the World Health Organization into an agreement that anything that the WHO did on radioactivity or nuclear impacts must be passed in front of the International Atomic Energy Agency before it's published. And the IAEA have the ability to suppress anything they don't like with the WHO. So these are the people that we're dealing with. So it doesn't surprise me, really, that they would be seeking 
to suppress information in a different way from the way they've managed to control the WHO, but they're still managing to do it through the Japanese government, perhaps. My final position on that is let us see the evidence that leads Foreign Minister Mr. Hayashi to conclude that there is no whistleblower within TEPCO, within the Japanese government, and within the IAEA. He hasn't had the time, and they haven't had the time, to carry out a thorough judicial-style, police-style investigation onto the source of that document. We would like them to disclose that information. And I am in the position at the moment, while I am in the process of constructing a series of disclosure requests to be sent to the International Atomic Energy Agency. And I'm hoping that I can find colleagues and helpers in Japan to do the same, to submit the same sort of questions to the Japanese government. Mr. Hayashi, the foreign minister who spoke out and called this issue a fraud, and TEPCO as well, because we just left taking their word for this. There is no evidence. Let us assume, suppose it was a genuine document, they can just rubbish it like that and throw it away and hope that everything goes away. Now, I don't know, now that doubts have been raised, it is a possibility that it may be a fraud, but there is also a possibility that it may be the truth. So let's see some sort of inquiry, open and transparent inquiry, which will elucidate whether it's true or not. So that's where I stand at the moment, because as campaigners, it's important for us. Mr. Hayashi said, I would like to stress that we, presumably, whether he means the Japanese government or the Japanese government and TEPCO and the IAEA, that we are firmly opposed to any attempt to undermine the independence and neutrality of the IAEA with false information. Now, if this whistleblower is a fraud, then the effect of that fraudulence will be to cast doubt on the viability and the veracity of campaigners who have put it forward. Because Mr. Hayashi's statement saying, it's not us, it's nothing to do with us, somebody's perpetuated a fraud. Most people particularly those who are opposed to anti-nuclear campaigning, would assume that the fraud was perpetrated by people like you and me, Libby, who are campaigning against it. He appears to be, I mean, the implication of what he's saying is that if it's not them, who is it? So my view is that it's either a rogue individual who thinks he's being useful or helpful or just mischievous, who's done it, or it's somebody who wishes to catch us out in a trap and has given us this document with malicious intent so that we can then be rubbished as purveyors of fraudulent documents and maybe even the people who created it. So for those reasons, I think it's very important that we submit these questions to those three players, the International Atomic Energy Agency, Japanese government and TEPCO, and have a transparent disclosure of what their investigations were, what their investigations have found, and all the proofs and evidence for the conclusions that they've reached. Without which, it's just them shouting into the void, saying, oh, it's not us. 
So it must be you. And we know that it's not us because it didn't come from any of us. It came to us and we have shared it amongst ourselves. And I'm not the only person who's distributed this document around. So I think this is a very important issue. And really, it's up to them to clarify. And we must push them as hard as we can towards that clarification. UK-based marine biologist Tim Deer-Jones. We'll continue with this week's special on Japan's radioactive water release propaganda and cover-up campaign in just a moment. But first, it's episodes like this one that show you why you need nuclear hot seat. We don't take the polished nuclear stories forced fed us by the industry propaganda machine and pass them along to an unsuspecting public as truth. We contradict their carefully manicured image by examining the issues, interviewing credentialed experts and activists on the front lines, and learning the harder, more human, more nuanced truths about what this industry has done and continues to do to people and the environment. Nuclear Hot Seat is a cornerstone in the loyal opposition, presenting nuclear critics, skeptics, and opponents who can prove what they're talking about with lots of footnotes, who understand the ultimate dangers posed by this technology, and are working to stop its transgressions before we run out of corners in which to paint ourselves. But in order to keep doing this work, we need your help. This show is run on donations, and we're always in need of your support. I often ask for a recurring donation of $5 a month, saying it's the same as one would spend here in the U.S. for a nice cup of coffee and a tip to the barista. It may not seem like a lot, but here's the thing. Those $5 monthly donations are the lifeblood of this program, the only money we can count on. And some people choose to buy us more than one cup of coffee a month, which really helps us out. So if you appreciate the kind of news and information you get from Nuclear Hot Seat every week, how about buying us a cup of coffee this month or every month? And if you wish to donate more as a one-time donation, know that we're a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, so your donations are tax-deductible. So don't delay. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the red Donate button. Know that whatever you can do to help, I'm deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Now back to this week's special Nuclear Hot Seat on Japan's radioactive water release propaganda and cover-up campaign. Philippe Carrillo is an award-winning filmmaker and director of The Fukushima Disaster, The Hidden Side of the Story. He lives on the South Pacific island nation of Vanuatu, where he has been closely following how Japan is manipulating the journalists in the South Pacific islands into unquestioning acceptance of the radioactive water release from Japan, and why those tactics have thus far been so effective. We spoke on Monday, July 10, 2023. Philippe Carrillo. Thanks so much for joining us again on Nuclear Hot Seat. Uh, you're welcome, Libby. Thank you very much for having me again. We've spoken about this before, and I'd like you to explain to the listeners what you know about how Japan has been manipulating journalists and the media in the South Pacific Islands regarding the pending release of 1.3 million tons of radioactive water from Fukushima into the Pacific Ocean. You have to put that in perspective. So the Japanese government and the TEPCO have been caught lying about what really happened at Fukushima. For instance, they uh, lie about the explosion of the nuclear plant, and they uh, 
only released the information from March to May 2011. Also, the groundwater leaking, it took them two years to admit that there was a leak of radiation into the groundwater. Now, fast forward 2023, they are saying the water they want to dump into the ocean is safe and it's have been treated and blah, blah, blah. The only red flag we have here is they don't allow independent scientists such as Dr. Robert Richmond from the University of Hawaii to come and do an independent test. And there is other scientists in Seattle and in America that would love to go over there and do their own testing. Uh, South Korea, a member of parliament, and he was saying the testing of the water had been happening in the middle of the tank, but they didn't test the isotopes at the bottom of the tanks. So why they're doing that? Because it seems like, according to these experts, that the radioactive isotopes are getting in the bottom of the tank. So the level of radiation from this isotope is not being seen in the middle of the tank because they are too deep. You know, the tank is Vanuatu have a population of 300,000 people. It's a very, very small country. It's like a small village. So everybody knows everybody and everything that is done is known by everyone. So what happened is when I was cleaning up the film about the Fukushima disaster and the lies of the nuclear industry, I contact all the journalists and I contact my friend at the University of Vanuatu and I say, okay, well, maybe, maybe we can screen the film there. And he said, yeah, of course, you know, it's educational. And then he had been contacted by the Japanese ambassador here saying, excuse me, what? What are you doing? How is it possible that you screen a film against Fukushima, against Japan, blah, 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 blah. So I have the report because we know each other very well. You see people, they talk to me, they come back to me with information. And they and he said to me, me as a president of the university, I'm fair with everybody. If you want to say something, you come and you say something. But I am not going to stop award-winning filmmaker Philip Carrillo by showing the film to journalists because it's educational for the students of my university. I think it's good. Now, if you want to do a, make a statement, you come and you make your statement. Because it was in the newspaper, it goes, and they went to see the ambassador. I know he went to see the Daily Post, which is the local newspaper. He had to do the same thing. And then he went to the local television to do the same thing. Okay, what they are doing? So they tried to censor me. They never talked to me. They never called me. They never asked for a meeting with me. Who do you mean when you are referring to they being behind this, either ignoring you or trying to censor or suppress you? The ambassador of Japan the government of Japan, and of course, TEPCO, but not directly. The government of Japan have been working since March 2023 to do a PR kind of work. I will call that propaganda, okay? Because there is some other scientific data that I say otherwise. So it's not transparent. So they did a propaganda around the Pacific region in all the Pacific countries, sending a team of people to meet the journalists and say, this is the information. What we are doing is safe. We are our friend. You are our friend. We don't want any problem. So this is the information, the scientific information that the water that we're going to put in the ocean, the wastewater, this pollution is safe. Basically, this is what they are saying. And it has been going on for quite a while. How successful has this PR propaganda campaign been in terms of influencing the media coverage that you have seen? You and me know about Nukespeak, right? Right. Now, imagine a Pacific Islander who have no clue about this stuff because they don't have a nuclear plant here. 
they have nuclear bomb tests, but now Vanuatu is a nuke-free country. So what happened to us now, because we don't talk about this topic, so the Pacific Islanders, they don't know nothing about this. They don't even understand the thing. So that's how Japan is able to come in and do whatever presentations or seminars or propaganda dumps they want to. And they have pretty much a clear path to get that out. Would that be accurate? Yeah. And the technicality behind it is when you talk to someone that is just listening, give information to someone, and there is words inside sentences that they don't understand, it's become a big blank in their head, and they are becoming apathic. Like, they are not going to do anything. It's like, kind of a brainwash kind of thing. If you have a journalist who are very investigative journalists here in Vanuatu who say, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to clarify every word that you said to me, and I will come back to you to say yes or not, but I'm going to investigate like I did. When I did my film, I have to clarify every word because it was crazy to understand all these words. It was crazy. So what they did, they just did you know, blah, 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 blah. And nobody really understands what's going on. They cannot even say something because they don't understand. They don't know. How they can say, oh, sorry, sir, but what about you lying about uh, TEPCO dumping uh, the leak that was happening in the TEPCO, blah, blah, blah. You lie. You didn't say to your country, to your people, that uh, you know, the nuclear plant exploded. But they don't know. They didn't do any research. They're lost. So that's why Japan take advantage of that. Oh, we are your friend. We give you money here in the country to build your hospital. Well, thank you, Japan. You know, I mean, thank you very much. We really appreciate your help. But in the same time, you cannot, you know, dump your pollution in one side of the ocean and after say, oh, okay, we are your friends. Come on. Japan come with big money and they can basically uh, control and censor people and then just say, okay, we are your friend. We want to dump this water into the ocean. You know, this is not Japan ocean. They can dump in their land if they want. This is their country. But this is not Japan Ocean. Everybody needs to understand. And everybody has the right to come with their scientists and say, wait a minute, ah, red flag. No, 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 no. Until you let our independent scientists going over there and check it out for themselves, then we'll say yes to you. But right now, no. You are against the sustenance of the people of Vanuatu. And that's not okay. We are not going to let you kill our people. Given that time is getting very short between now and whenever Japan is going to be starting this, which could be as soon as the end of July or the beginning of August, as they have threatened, has there been any kind of groundswell of information coming across in the South Pacific media or some kind of a push or an educational program or anything that is leading people to stand up against Japan? There is no information going through the mainstream media here about what we are doing to fight back. It's amazing. It's like we're on our own, so we have to do everything ourselves. And again, it's because it's a complicated topic. You just have to show official statements from Japan to people to believe it. It's a matter of beliefs, of faith, and it should be a matter of data and science. And it's not. So they are saying, oh, look, we have this pile of 57 pages of reports from our scientists, the top of the world scientists who are saying it's safe. And people will believe it because they don't have anything to, to say because they don't know the topic. They don't know the words. They don't understand what's going on. What is a nuclear plant? They don't even know how it works. That's why it's very important for people to watch my film. And I try to put segment and segment of the film, you know, everywhere in the Pacific for people to understand. And believe me, Libby, there is one thing 
that's why Japan is after me, after my film, is because every time I show a segment of the film on Facebook, I have really positive comments against Japan. And people are saying, dump it in your country. Don't dump it in the ocean. Drink it if you want, but not in the ocean. When people see the film, they understand. Philippe Carrillo. His latest film, The Fukushima Disaster, The Hidden Side of the Story, is now available online. We will have links up to some free YouTube excerpts and also where you can access the full film. That will be on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 629. On Sunday, July 8, I spoke with a member of the Parliament of the Island Nation of Vanuatu, the Honorable Andrew Napwat, on economic reasons behind his government's reluctance to push back against Japan's radioactive water dump plans. I am welcoming the Honorable Andrew Salman Napwat to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you for having me in your program. As a member of the Vanuatu government, what has been the country's perspective on and response to Japan's pending release of 1.3 million tons of tritium-contaminated radioactive water from Fukushima into the Pacific Ocean? I can tell you now that nothing has been done by the government. Only a few of us members of parliament who are representing our people and have been following closely what Japan is intending to do in terms of uh, releasing the 1.3 tons of radioactive water from uh, Fukushima. And so because of the information that we have been collecting from people and, and scientific information that we're getting from specialists, we have been raising our concerns on, on behalf of our people. Uh, last year, a member of parliament from my constituency, which is the island of Tana in Vanuatu, raised a concern in parliament, made a statement requesting Japan not to release the radioactive water into our oceans. And that was it. I don't think the government has formulated an official position on that yet. But as a member of parliament, I have been raising my voice on this matter. And given Vanuatu's position in the South Pacific, you know, we have signed up and ratified the Pacific Nuclear Free Zone Treaty. Even the Pacific Islands Forum made a statement on that already. The countries have been working together. I think our voices have been heard at the Pacific Islands Forum, which then released a uh, resolution requesting Japan to reconsider their action. And so these are some of the actions that I am aware of and also what I am doing as a member of Parliament for Vanuatu because of my country's position in 1994, 1995, when we joined 13 other Pacific Island nations to ratify the Pacific Nuclear Free Zone Treaty. That's all I can say in terms of what we are doing so far. Is there a reason, what might it be, that the government of Vanuatu has not been more energetic or more focused on pushing back against Japan? Firstly, I would like to say this way, that uh, Vanuatu has a good working relationship with Japan. Like any other countries in the Pacific, we've got very good diplomatic relations with Japan, Japan is assisting some of our, our Pacific Island nations with projects and especially Vanuatu. And so because of that, I believe as a small island nation where we depend a lot on aid and funding assistance from these big development partners, that could be one reason why our 
countries not raising it at the highest level and confronting Japan because of the diplomatic relations which comes with aid money, other projects and all that stuff. Uh, secondly, I think Japan is been going around giving out information from their side to our Pacific people and trying to convince them that the wastewater is safe. And so because of their information that is being spread around the Pacific through their diplomatic channels and also engaging the Pacific Islands journalists and media, that could be the reason why some of them are taking time to come out and talk because Japan has been giving them some information. To me, I would say that I'm not yet satisfied with information coming from Japan because it's like a conflict of interest. This is what they want to do. So they should allow for an independent assessment and independent experts to come and give opinion from external specialists and scientists who could give information to confirm that what Japan is saying is true. Then, only then we can formulate an opinion. At the moment, we don't want to accept what Japan is saying to us until such time when we can look at the data, the scientific information and the reports and everything. Then we can formulate an opinion. I, I think that's the reason why our government is not yet coming out to confront Japan or to talk about this, because it's been a one-way ticket where Japan is the only one giving them information. But I'm raising this so that our government and our leaders in the Pacific could request for other external sources of information and other scientists to give information so that we could make an informed decision. The time is getting short if Japan is going to push forward as they have promised by possibly as early as the end of this month or next month. Has there been any change in people's opinions about this as the time has come closer? I would say that at the moment, a lot of our leaders are sleeping. Sorry, that is not a good word to use. But to me, they are not opening their eyes to see and collect information as much as possible to help them make a decision. I agree with you. Time is running out for them. If they continue to keep quiet, they continue to not say anything about this at all, it's going to be very devastating for us. I am only hearing that so far there are two Pacific Island nations who have changed their positions. I think it's Palau and Marshall Islands, one of these two nations in the Pacific. They are saying, oh, now they are agreeing to Japan's solution, uh, what Japan is intending to do. And then in one of the interviews, I said, I am really, really surprised by these two nations, by their leaders who could just easily come up and say, oh, they are agreeing to do the solution when we don't have that information. I believe they don't have the information and they think they have the information. I want them to prove me wrong, to say this is the information from all these experts, all these scientists, external information that should come and confirm that this is safe. But you know, I am not going to stop. And if Japan believes that they are a friend to us, then they need to listen to us. You know, the Pacific Ocean is shared by 41 island nations. And we are a small island state. Our islands are so small. We depend on the ocean for our sustenance. And Japan needs to respect that, that they do not own the ocean. We own the ocean together. We share the ocean together. If they want to thumb it, like I have always been saying, why can't they use the water in their land? Because they own their land. But to thumb it in the ocean when we all share the ocean, 
it's not a good idea. And if Japan believes that Japan is a friend to the Pacific, they need to respect the position that the Pacific Island nations took back in 1994 or 1995 when 13 Pacific Island nations decided anything to do with nuclear, we don't want it in the Pacific. We want Pacific to remain nuclear free. So you're saying that two nations that were initially against the release of the water have now turned around and changed their position and are in favor of it, or at least are not fighting against it anymore. And if that's so, have they given their reasons behind that? I have not seen the reasons. I have not seen the reasons. That's why I am challenging them to come out and convince us that what they have is scientifically proven opinion that the water is safe. But they can't just come out and say, oh, we agree to it without giving their reasons because that, again, is put into question the position they are taking because given the information that is readily available that we, we, we have now and from one of the films from Mr. Felipe. You mean Philippe Carrillo's marvelous film, Fukushima Disaster, The Hidden Side of the Story, which has scientists talking about the dangers of the water. It is not safe. You see the Nobel Prize winners and the scientists, top scientists coming out to say, no, the water is not safe. And I am really surprised. I am really surprised that all of a sudden, these Pacific tiny island nations who live, who get their food and sustenance from the ocean, they could just quickly come up and say, oh, we support it. That's why I'm challenging them to come out and show to us where they got the information from and how they have come to be convinced that the water is safe. What steps, if any, would you ask listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat, who are all over the world, to take on behalf of Vanuatu and the other Pacific Island nations and all the countries that have been speaking against the water release? What would you want them to do or what could they do to help support you in the actions you are currently taking? Thank you. That's that's an important question. First of all, I would like to say Vanuatu is in the top of all the, the, the vulnerable countries that are already facing the effects and impacts of climate change. We are a small island nation and amongst all other nations in the world, Vanuatu is at the top of countries that is vulnerable to climate change. And that includes cyclones, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, tsunamis, you name it. We are facing that in the Pacific, and especially Vanuatu. Now, on top of that, there are you know other man-made disasters that are affecting us. So, because of our vulnerability to all these climate change issues, natural disasters that we are already facing, we don't need another disaster on top of these disasters that we are already facing. And so, we need the people those who are listeners of this nuclear hot seat to help us spread the news, to help us advocate, to help us talk to Japan and tell Japan that what they are doing is not right. Because if this option that they are wanting to do to dump the radioactive water into the ocean and it pollutes our oceans, that's going to be the end of our survival in the small island nations. Because we don't have big land area where, where, you know, we can run to the interior of these big massive islands to plant food and do gardening and all of that. 
we have very small islands and every day we go to the ocean. Every day we go to the ocean to get our sustenance from the ocean. And so I want these listeners of the nuclear hot seat to be more proactive now when time is running out. I want them to stand up with us and tell Japan that what Japan is wanting to do is not right because it threatens our survival in the Pacific Island nation. You know, if Americans want to continue to enjoy the Pacific, such as Fiji or Vanuatu or elsewhere, they also need to help us spread the news. We need all hand on deck to stop Japan from doing what they want to do. When you say tell Japan, where should we be focusing our letters, our protests? Who do we need to get to who might be willing to listen? We got our diplomatic channels where, you know, now we're doing it in the most friendly way, talking to Japan through our diplomatic channels and for Japan to realize that some of its so-called friends are talking to them and, and, and telling them that this is not right. But if Japan intends to take this further, then, you know, Vanuatu took the climate change issue to the International Court of Justice and to seek the UN's opinion on that. And so we could consider going down that road if Japan doesn't want to listen to us. Because this is, again, like I said, it's about our survival. And so we got to explore all the means. We will pursue all the means so that this does not happen because we are not yet sure whether it is safe for us or not. Until such time, Japan cannot continue to do what they want to do. If the Americans or people around the world realize that this is for common good, we all need to take actions. We all need to take steps. I cannot go and dictate what they can do within their means and within their resources, but they need to do something. Whatever it is, they must do it because time is running out. I wish we can have news coverage in the U.S. as well, on radio, on TV, and if the media can continue to spread information, scientific information and data for the people to see and understand. I already did an interview with a South Korean TV but we need more. We need more. And we need more leaders to stand up. We need more leaders to open their eyes. We need more leaders to read and understand what is going to happen. We need more leaders to consult experts, scientists, and find out their opinions so that they could be able to make informed decisions. Nuclear has been around with us for a long time. This is not something that is new. We've seen the devastating impacts and effects of the nuclear, which are affected people during the wars. And, and in the Pacific, we already saw that in Tahiti and in other Pacific Island nations. That is why when we realized that nuclear is not safe for our population and our people in the South Pacific, the 13 island nations came together to sign the Pacific Treaty, declaring that the Pacific must continue to remain nuclear-free because we don't have big land masses of land area like the U.S. or in other parts of the world. We have very small islands and we see the ocean every day. We go to the ocean every day. And so what we're saying now is not something that is to do with geopolitical issues and whatever. This is about our survival. And Japan needs to realize that. We have a good working relationship, diplomatic relations with Japan is okay. We don't want to get involved in all these geopolitical issues. We are raising a genuine concern that is more serious to us about our survival. And we want Japan to understand that. It is for the benefit of our people, our islands, and our, our nation. That was the Honorable Andrew Solomon Napwat, Member of Parliament of the Island Nation of Vanuatu.
in the South Pacific. Here's today's final thought. From April 2021, when Japan first announced that they would be dumping radioactive water from Fukushima into the Pacific Ocean, the country has been on a dead-ahead mission to do it, and nothing has halted their relentless drive. The question becomes, why? When there are international objections, consequences, and possible alternatives for safe storage, why this single-minded drive? What's the rush? Why now? I don't usually mention it on this show, but I have a master's degree in spiritual psychology. One of the things we studied is called genomics. That is the imprinting of emotional trauma on DNA so that it gets passed down through generations to be acted out by people who did not experience that initial trauma but now act as if they did. It subconsciously influences beliefs and actions. Sometimes it skips one or more generations, but the imprint is always there, lurking beneath the emotional surface, and it will express itself again and again until and unless the emotions around the initiating trauma are resolved. It's now been almost 78 years since the United States dropped atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Looking at these current actions of Japan from a genomic perspective, I believe the country's planned dump of radioactive water into the Pacific is a genomic acting out based upon that trauma. For the first time since 1945, Japan has the opportunity to get even. Is this a conscious decision? No. Genomic imprinting is rarely made conscious without a lot of therapy and a willingness to heal. How could this horrific national, if not planetary, imprint be resolved? I don't know that either. But from Japan announcing two years ago that they would do this to the seemingly unstoppable drive to dump the radioactive water makes no sense, unless it is an acting out of a long-suppressed revenge. You nuked us? Fine. Now watch how we nuke you. We are coming up on the anniversaries. Hiroshima on August 6, Nagasaki on August 9. Would it be irony or revenge to begin the Fukushima water release on or in proximity to either of those days? Would those in power even be conscious of what they were doing? No way to say, but the issue needs to be raised so the country's leaders can begin to think separate from the genomic imprint. Perhaps with awareness, this relentless genomic drive to dump radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean, a step which can never be undone, and threatens to impact us for generations to come, can be at least forestalled. Japan needs to pause, take a deep breath, and really consider what else is possible. Its own children, as well as the world's, deserves no less. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, July 11, 2023. Don't miss a single episode. Sign up for a weekly email with the link to that week's show by filling out the yellow opt-in box at NuclearHotSeat.com. This episode is copyright 2023, Libby Halevian Nuclear Hot Seat. You can use it, but you must give credit. This is Libby Halevi reminding you, the International Atomic Energy Agency's job is to see that their plan adheres to standards, and adhering to standards is not the same thing as guaranteeing safety. University of Hawaii marine biologist Bob Richmond. This has been your nuclear wake-up call, so don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. <laughs>